0: Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of InfoSecSync, where we keep you in sync with the ever-changing world of information
1: security. I'm your host, Matt Morris. And I'm your host, Nick Thomas and give us 60 minutes and we will keep you on top of the latest security news and help you gain CPEs while tuning in. InfoSecSync is brought to you by VicTech.
0: At VicTech, they pride themselves on teamwork, customer satisfaction, and providing customers with elite engineering and technology solutions. They aim to become an ever more dominant force in every area, product, or service they represent. Visit them on the web at victech.net. That's V-I-K-
1: infosec sync is also brought to you by all points all points provides a range of technology and mission critical services within its core competencies that spans systems engineering information technology cyber security software development as well as hardware and software integrated solutions all points integrating personnel Technology and services to exceed customer expectations. Visit them on the web at allpointsllc.com. InfosecSync is also brought to you by the Van Dyke
0: Technology Group. At Van Dyke, their work is focused on the performance and security of information systems of national impact. Optimize performance, maximize security. Experience the Van Dyke difference and visit them on the web at vdtg.com.
1: And now, For Stories of the Week, ending December 5th, 2014.
0: What's up, InfoSecSync fam? What's up, people? And we're back. So it's been a little while. Uh, I have to apologize to our listeners out there. Uh, We've been taking a hiatus, right? We've been kind of down and out for a little bit, but uh, it feels good to get back on the mic. So uh, we had a number of things occur over the past few weeks. Right, guys?
1: Yeah, Vic got a new phone.
0: Right.
2: Miller time. <laughs> Stop playing. It's a Coke. <laughs>
0: so, uh, yeah, it looks like uh, Vic got a new phone after Nick got a new phone, and then we all got new screen uh, protectors and cases.
1: Oh, yeah. Otter so boxes. there we go.
0: These are the newest... Um, these are the newest accessories that we've had i also purchased these soul republic headphones man i love these things so um what'd you get you got the note 4
2: i got the note 4 note three and a half so far so good you have any malware on there yet still no no (laughs) malware i never got any malware on my old phone uh that
0: you knew of that i knew of right so that uh you know I'm sending text messages by them by themselves, because I know half the text messages you send, Vic, are from something
2: else. <laughs> right? I do send some pretty crazy stuff down there. Right.
0: I'd <laughs> be seeing chain forward emails, you know, <laughs> by my sofa. <laughs> Click here for some pictures. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we're all synced up now at InfoSecSync. We all have new things. So, And there's a number of security events that have occurred. So we're going to cover a lot of stuff Uh, we have a lot of content for you listeners so this is going to be a very special episode this is after 10 we switch things up in episode 10 and in episode 11 now um, this is new beginnings it's before the new year but you know new episode new me that's how i live right word so first story we want to cover the FBI. Well, we all know. Let's let's first back up a little bit. Sony Pictures um, got hacked, right? So they were supposed to come out with this movie, and yeah, this, the trailer looks really funny, right? So the movie name was The Interview, and it was a Sony film that depicted a CIA plot to assassinate the North Korean leader Kim Jong Un, and. Um, the nation's ever belligerent state propaganda outlets have threatened merciless retaliation against the U.S. and other nations if the film was released. So with all that said, um what happened was they, they got compromised. So the attackers got in. They put wiper malware in the environment, but that's after they did data exfil. So they pulled... You know, um, records of HR records. They pulled the movie. You know, they have movie files from the development of unreleased movies and things like that. Movies that even had have not hit DVD yet. Um, so either way, with that backstory, um, Reuters has reported on some things, and we want to present that to you. So cool. let's start. Reuters reported that you know FBI issued a confidential warning to U.S. businesses following the destructive malware-based attack on Sony. And so, following the major breach, the F- FBI issued an alert to U.S. businesses related to possible malware-based attacks. Occurring, according to Reuters, the malicious code described in the alert could be the attack vector used by the threat actors in the incident that occurred at Sony. And the issue, well, the FBI issued a coincidental flash warning to U.S. businesses on Monday, which includes technical details about the malware used in the attack and suggestion for incident response, or IR um you know, within the enterprise environment. The five-page document was sent to security staff at some U.S. companies via email, and the Bureau also requested the, you know, they they do not share it. Um, The cyber attacks against Sony is creating a big alarmism within the, uh, within authorities, which they fear that major destructive offensive could compromise the operation of other companies on U.S. soil. It's the first time that, A similar attack hit a multinational firm in the U.S. In the past, similar destructive attacks caused a block of operations at uh, the Saudi uh, Aramco firm in 2012, when a virus infected 30,000 workstations at the company and uh, all the company servers. They were cleaned and restored. um, However, the attack hit them. Was that that wasn't which which attack was that? I
1: don't remember.
0: We'll have to look I remember up. hearing
1: about it, but uh, I don't remember which attack it was.
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, either way, we're going to cover some more stuff later on with with some cool attacks. But either way, um, they believe that the coordinated cyber attack with the destructive payloads against a corporation in the U.S. represents a watershed event. So that was from Tom Kellerman, which is a chief cybersecurity oper- uh, officer with Trend Micro. Geopolitics now serve as a... Um, as you know, harboring for other destructive attacks. And the warning issued by the FBI states that the malware overrides all the data on the hard drive of the computers, including the, the MBR, the master boot record, and it prevents uh, targeted machines from booting up. So the overriding of the data makes it extremely difficult and costly, if not impossible, to recover the data, kind of like the crimeware we see with uh, Cryptolockter and things like that. So in the time of writing, Sony confirmed that they had restored a number of important services and were working closely with law enforcement officials to investigate the manner or the, excuse me, the matter and the manner of which uh, they got infiltrated, data got exfiltrated, and then they got, you know, kind of pwned within the enterprise environment. Sony Pictures Entertainment hasn't provided any official comment on the warning issued by FBI, but the investigations are involving government entities, including the FBI and DHS. Meantime, Sony has fire, hired, excuse me, has hired FireEye, Eye Mandiant, um, the incident response team to help clean up after the attack. So we may see a report from that, which would be pretty cool. But um, they want to manage uh, the incident response activities that are occurring within Sony. So the activities that you know took place to restore normal operations are time-consuming and expensive, as we all know, and they often require technicians to manually either uh, to manually replace uh, damaged systems or components, or you know, try to restore from backups and things like that. The FBI warning did not include the name of the victim in the alert, but two cybersecurity experts who analyzed the document confirmed to Reuters that it was clearly referring to the beach at the California-based unit of Sony Corporation. Um, let's see. Sony Pictures Entertainment obviously has not. Um, they've confirmed the difficulties for the attribution of the attack at this phase, but, uh, Sony pictures has reported that they have begun, um, investigating possible involvement of hackers from North Korea. And the news was reported by recode, which cited insider sources. The investigators speculate that North Korean hackers hit Sony operating from, uh, China. So, And I'm going to say this, uh, this was kind of said earlier, it coincides with the release of that movie. So therefore, um, let's see, the Pyongyang government denounced the film as an undisguised sponsoring of terrorism as well as an act of war in a letter to the UN Secretary General um, Ban Ki-moon in June. The technical section of the FBI report said some of the software used by the attackers had been compiled in Korean, so it used Korean language packs, but it did not discuss any possible connection to North Korea. So that's that's all that was in the
1: report. Let's discuss. So I can't wait until Mandiant FireEye comes out with the report because I'm really curious if if it's North Korea... Was it really North Korea, or did North Korea pay someone to do this for them?
0: Right. And (laughs) let's be
1: clear. This is not going to be
0: an APT report. Right. Because this is not a persistent threat. Unless they find some indicators of compromise that could be applied to other corporations around the world, um, because Mandiant Services corporations around the world, and they can do the event correlation and say, we saw this particular strain of malware that was used in this attack. Yeah, they have a cloud they share. Right. Right. So it will be very interesting to see that report. But let's make it very clear to listeners. In the attack, not only was HR and payroll information uh, exfiltrated, but we also saw um, movies. Yeah, I think there was uh, that one and four other ones. Right. A lot of movies were leaked that haven't hit DVD yet. So the allure to go on... No, it haven't hit the movies yet. Oh, they haven't even hit
2: the movies (laughs) yet. And then
0: they also got files for other... um, Movies that you know are still in movie theaters haven't hit DVD yet, so the allure is there to go on torrent download sites, Pirate Bay, all sorts of stuff, and look for these things. But be very careful because those may be trojanized. Don't do it; they right. will be trojanized. Right. So, and the thing is, if the individuals that are the source, right, which would be the hackers, because they're the ones who have obtained this information, put the information out to other people within the community. We're not saying that you know they have. Uh, well, they obviously have nefarious means against, you know, and they want to harm Sony, right? And and at the end of the day, they're trying to harm their bottom line, right? So if you see these files and you pick them up, one of those things, you know, you may become a part of a bot or something like that, depending upon what they Trojanize in those files. So be very weary um, when looking at these things, uh, you know, out, out on the web. So... Those are definitely, as small business owners and regular business owners, you have to look at these indicators of compromise. The thing is, Sony has proven themselves to be resilient, right? I mean, I honestly, um, I understand and honestly think that they're going to rebound from this, but we haven't seen anything from them, and enough time has not gone by for us to really make a definitive answer on if Sony's going to be okay or not. But they're such a large company that I think they may be okay, um, However, we saw with CodeSpace and some other companies that when they got hit with a an attack on their environment, they went bankrupt overnight. they were out of business. So, you know, hopefully Sony will be able to rebound from this. But now we're seeing cyber attacks being used actively as a retaliatory, you know, being able to retaliate. So, what do you think about that, Vic?
2: Man, uh, Sony is like a. Uh, and you know i grew up with sony so you kind of the image that they have is like man everything they do they build a great product they're real reliable and then to see them uh have something like this happen to them just seems like wow anybody's yeah so open to this. this is this
0: is kind of the thing about and i understand that this was a security firm that got hacked we could say that we could think that they had pretty good security sony has some pretty good products but the problem is, and I, this analogy does not apply, but I always say this, the shoemaker has no shoes, right? So you could have a security professional that's secure at work, but they don't apply those same practices when they're at home. I mean, for example, like I have a tap off my network. I have security onion installed. I am analyzing packets while people are sleeping. <laughs> that's why I maintain that competitive edge, right? So, but not everybody's like that. You know what I'm saying? And. With Sony, you would think with their image, with having elite products, that they would ensure that that's protected. If if we saw the normal exfil of data, which would be employee information, right? So SSNs, DOBs, payroll information, of which in the payroll information, they found out they had two CEOs. One was getting paid almost double the other.
1: Oh, man. For the same, for the same that's job. That's public now?
0: Right. That's not good. Krebs. Um, I think, reported on it. But either way, we're finding out information like that. And I think it was like one was getting paid $896 million and the next one was getting paid like $1.5. So I'm looking at my side I'm like, damn, what the hell am I doing wrong? But <laughs> either way, at the end of the day, um, you would think that they would have protected their thing. And their thing was the movies because it was Sony's pictures. And the thing is, not only was the employee information leaked, but the movies were also leaked, which is where you put all the development into, which is why you have employees. So their thing, their widget, their shoes per se, were also stolen.
1: So, you know, this is definitely a very good point, Vic. So, I think this is a kind of a good thing for um, security, (laughs) because it'll... It'll make other companies look and say, "Holy crap! We don't want that to happen to us." I don't want, um, like, if you're CEO, I don't want my salary being sh- um, shared out, you know, to the world. Right. I'm sure some CEOs got on the phone and said, "Hey, are we protected from this?" Right. I don't want this to happen to us. You would think so. I think this is good for security. The reason why it's good
0: for security is because, as security practitioners, you know, us three in this room here, and all our security practitioners and security professionals listening in. With that, this is a good thing because we're getting CEOs and C-levels to realize that security has to be baked in from the beginning. I guarantee you that they thought they were pretty secure with some things that they had implemented on the network. They may have had a DLP. They may have had an IDS. They may have had an IPS. They may have had a firewall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, it's all about the implementation and sustainment of those core components. And it's all about the fence and depth. So... The thing is, this is not like I'm going to mine a key. I have you know, a muffler that's broken. They're going to weld on a new pipe and a muffler, and I'm done. You can't just throw a firewall in the mix and expect it to work out of the box. You have to have somebody that tunes it, and not only that, but you have to stay on the proactive measure and look at attack trends that are out there and constantly tune it. So this is good for security because this is job security for us security professionals.
1: Absolutely, Matt. And, you know, I even think that uh, maybe – Companies as big as Sony should start hiring some cleared people because, you know, they're not going to steal anything.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> That's another thing. So, um, good point. So, um, <laughs> so when we say cleared people, we mean individuals that have gone through a background investigation process, et cetera, et cetera. The most
1: intense background Right. Process. So, what I liken
0: it to is this. This is a touchy subject. So, this is what I'm going to liken it to, Right. If I buy software, if it's been vetted off the street, and I know it's good, and the trust... So, I'm going to trust, but I'm going to verify, right? So, that verification has been done by a trusted source, then I'm going to trust that item, that object. Same thing with individuals, right? So, if they've gone through a strenuous background investigation process, I'm not just talking certification and being adherent to a code of ethics, but actual what have you done in your life... What is your pattern of life? What have you done? Have you done anything that I would classify as risky behavior and would be of risk to my organization? I think that definitely needs to happen more. Oh, yeah. Totally agree with that. So, you know, if any of, uh, you know, Sony Pictures is listening in or something like that, you know, you got three guys here that are very trustworthy. You know, you could hire us for a little consultant gig. No, I'm kidding. But at the end of the day, that's what you have to look at is, the integrity of the individuals of which you're hiring, right? What standard are they held to? So with that thought, are you cool with that, Vic?
2: Yeah. Vic Vic looks
0: like he has something on his mind right now. Well,
2: you know, I was even thinking maybe Sony did everything right. Maybe a little bit of the stroke of luck, you know, the... Guys that got in, did the damage, they got lucky. And sometimes you can have the best security on on your system, and uh, somebody still can get in.
0: All right, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What if they didn't do things right? And that will all happen once we get information disclosure of what happened after the breach. We need a breach disclosure report.
1: You know, the easiest thing would be uh, the insider threat.
0: Right, but we won't know until we see that. So we can speculate about events that are like this, but about the Sony event, I don't have any comment until I see that breach disclosure report on what actually occurred. But what we do know is that they were compromised, systems on the network were wiped, and um, individuals and actors outside of the organization obtained information and exfiltrated information. With those series of events that occurred, it is very apparent to me that they may have not have been observing the best security policies. That's what I can speculate. Let's look at Target. with Target, right? I understand this is kinda like beating a dead horse, right? But twenty fourteen isn't over, so I can still oh. I can still talk about Target. Um but don't worry, I won't mention shell shock or heartbleed or Target's gonna be putting chips in their cards. Right. So they that was their reactive measure to what yes. occurred. But at the end of the day, they had a computer network defense service provider, right, that was providing some service for incident response, for looking at um, and analyzing network traffic, doing intrusion analysis and things like that. You had individuals on staff doing that in the organization. Remember, they said they had over, I think it was 10,000 alerts or something crazy like that. Wasn't that what Yeah,
1: it, there was a ton of alerts for that. There
0: was a ton of alerts. Guess what? They didn't have yeah. policy or protocol in place to look at the alerts. So they spent a lot of money on security. They had a CISO, a CIO, and a CEO in roles that understood and comprehended that security is something that should be taken seriously. But at the end of the day, the failure was in the implementation and sustainment of those, those core components, of which I already touched on. So.
1: And remember, it was a third-party vendor uh, is how they got in, using the third-party vendor. Right. Uh,
0: So they had a layered defense model, and they said, this is where our attack surface is, but they may not have accounted for the HVAC contractor of which they gave domain admin privileges to. Crazy. So it's all about least privilege, because if I have something out there, and I give somebody enough, enough, you know, clout, or roles and responsibilities if i tune it up enough and give them domain admin and they're somewhere else and i don't have clearly defined things and attributes and you know uh, damage that they can do on the network guess what that is a risk so if i just give somebody an untuned what the hell was that
2: i think that was Vic. <laughs> what what do you, t- what, you t- what was it i heard a murph Really? Maybe it was. I don't know. That's messed what? up. No was more, it really?
0: Yeah. No more Miller for you. I'm gonna take that. I, it's, I, it's Miller time. I may have done
2: it. I don't even remember. What
0: was just it bad? Have a liquid dinner over dude, here. You should just
2: leave it over there. Damn, Leave dude. it in there. And go.
0: Dude, you're oh, loose, man. You're loose.
2: <laughs> <laughs> loose cannon. Was it that bad? <laughs> shit, Love I don't it. even remember doing it. Because that was me. Shit. shit.
0: So, anyways, to close out that thought. In retrospect, have devices out there, but tune them properly, sustain them properly, and always look at it on paper. What do I have out there? What are the vulnerabilities? What's the attack surface? And what are the exploits that could be leveraged against those vulnerabilities? You know, what what are the threats? Um, All of that has to be clearly defined. So, do you have the next story?
1: Yeah, so you remember FIN 4? Right. So... FinFOR is a hacking team that has targeted over 100 organizations since 2013, all of which are either publicly traded companies or advisory firms. Researchers at FireEye issued a report on them, which is specialized in hacking of publicly traded companies, like I said before, but also including mergers and acquisitions intelligence. Um, Part of the report says that they have um, pursued targets – at more than 100 organizations, um, two-thirds of which are public healthcare and pharmaceutical companies. Um, The remaining targets include advisory firms that represent public companies and a handful of public companies in other sectors, um, closely followed by market watchers. So their main attack vector was uh, well-crafted spear phishing
0: emails, if memory serves me correctly.
1: Uh, Yeah, to steal legitimate email credentials. the access to email accounts of top executives, legal counsel, uh, researchers, and outside consultants allowed the FinFOR to gain insider information that could influence stock prices and give the attackers a, a significant trading advantage. Wow, that's um, that's pretty cool. Hack, you know, hackers are like getting into uh, Wall Street now. You know, that's
0: that's that's pretty serious. So not only that, but I think part of their TTP was. Um, didn't they use their command and control server where they were, like, controlled through Tor or they, like, transferred information or something yeah, like that? Yeah, they through? did it
1: all over out the Tor network, I believe. Okay. So they were heavily reliant
0: on Tor, which obviously encrypts that network traffic. Um, but were they, like, using any specialized malware or anything like
1: that? Um. They're not using any malware to steal sensitive data and user credentials. Um, The experts discovered the usage of phishing email with lures appealing to investor and shareholder concerns. Typically, um, you know the email's gonna contain the uh, Microsoft Office document. And of course, what's it gonna have enabled? A VBA macros embedded, which pops up. um, A phony Outlook dialogue box, (laughs) demanding for the user's credentials and sure enough, you're going to put it in because you want to see what it is, right? Right. Um, if the macros are disabled, the user sent a link to a phony Outlook web access site, which is actually going to do the same thing, saying, Hey, so it's who sent are that you? link to
0: the OWA site, and the OWA site tries to harvest the credentials that way,
1: right? I'm sure it's like, Hey, I have some um, inside information that you might be interested in, or you know, <laughs> something like that. So they're like, Hey, yeah,
0: maybe it's, um, you know, what I think in this particular case, they were trying to mimic a legitimate OWA site so that it asks for like, you know, username domain slash username etc, etc, etc so it looked like a legitimate OWA login and I think that's how they harvested their credentials, if memory serves me correctly, but that's if the VBA macros are disabled, so their malware actually had logic built into it yeah, that's awesome, so
1: if we can't get you this way we're going to get you this other way
0: Right. that's pretty cool so another thing in memory serves me correct, the uh, the attackers also used um, the access on the victim's account to manipulate the discussions on specific topics.
1: So they would actually uh, change the information around to work in to their uh, advantage? Right. So they used the outlook rules on i'm seeing it now on
0: victims accounts that redirected email messages containing words such as malware mm-hmm. hacked phishing mm-hmm. and that uh redirected them to the deleted folder and that was uh <laughs> that's crazy so that victims were not alerted on the ongoing attacks oh that's cool actually i think that we saw this at b-sides you remember when mandiant was um i think it was mandiant was doing a presentation. And they they kind of talked about OWA like mimicking the oh, front. Oh, that's
2: right! I remember that. This
0: was what they were talking about. Was um thin four. Some very very interesting stuff. Um, yeah. Again, I can't say this enough. Have devices in the network have them finely tuned. You know, throw it in the spam filter. So. We got some more, we got some more stuff to talk. Do y'all have anything to say about that? That's all I got to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. Pretty scary stuff. Right. So don't, don't click on your, uh, you know, cat's email.
2: Yeah, i received some, uh, crazy stuff yesterday from my bank. Or at least I thought it was my bank. i would never seen, uh, email like that from my bank before. And, uh. Even after I looked through the whole email, I still don't think it came from the bank. It looks, it looked pretty darn good. <laughs>
0: so here's a problem: How do you enable uh, identity
2: verification
0: within an enterprise environment on email? First way would be for me to digitally sign the email, right, or have like a PGP key or something like that. That is not convenient at all. Not really. I don't know if anybody has tried to import like a PGP key and like you. it's not it's not intuitive you know what i'm saying so for the bank to get their message out to the masses they have to use
1: methods as regular email but as we all know regular email is easily spoofed so Vic, i got that same um email the other day and i was gonna save it for you guys and send it to you it was um it was my bank which is one of the um, biggest banks in America. What's the account number? <laughs> and um, you know, I saw it and it Post was like, "This is weird." It will be the biggest <laughs> account
2: number. Uh.
1: It 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 looked it looked it looked awesome. But for somebody that uh, that knew, you know, that's in the industry, I was like, "Holy cow! Look, check this out!" So I showed my wife. I was like, "You see, you see this? Never ever click on this, okay?" Um, I forgot what it was that gave it away to me, but I know my bank would never ask me for certain information, is what it was. But you know they had the logo down. I think the the way they messed up is your. I was able to hover over the who it came from or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, I was like, you guys didn't even do that right, man. <laughs> right. So they they were messy. Yeah.
0: So, um, again, freebie. Essentially, when you see things like that, I mean, obviously you hovered over the element and something looked out of, you know, out of the norm.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So, so what you can do is right-click on these things and inspect element. If you inspect element for a shortened URL, it'll show, it will show the HTML code. So you can actually see uh, the body of the message and any elements that are nested within the message that would be nefarious. So that's one thing to look at.
1: Cool. So what's our next story?
0: Our next story is... Cool. Operation Cleaver. Operation Cleaver?
1: Right. What the heck?
0: So um, these are Iranian hackers that are targeting industries worldwide. So security firm silence revealed that Iranian hackers uh, are targeting airlines, energy, defense companies worldwide as part of Operation Cleaver. That's the name of the campaign. So... The security firm released a detailed report on uh, the hacking Operation Cleaver that was run by state-sponsored hackers linked to Iran. The Iranian hackers targeted critical infrastructure worldwide, 10 of which are located in the United States. Experts at Cylance are cautions... um, They're having cautions looking at the results because uh, there's motivation behind the attacks on SCADA systems. So... They think that the attacks on the SCADA systems are in retaliation for Stuxnet and other campaigns that hit the country itself. The exfiltrated data could be used by hackers to run further attacks for sabotage. So what we're seeing are retaliatory attacks. Um, Wait, is this just on U.S. or all over? Right, um, all over. So it's like... They got kind of ticked off, and, you know, now they're they're going after everything. So in 2010, we saw Stuxnet, right? Um, then we saw Dooku, Flame, and then in retaliation, we saw Shamoon, Operation Abil, Saffron Rose, Newscaster. There were a lot of things that happened. Um, so we're seeing retaliatory attacks from a state-sponsored standpoint. So the... A uh, security firm said that within their investigation, they had no direct evidence of a successful compromise of industrial control systems or supervisory control and data acquisition SCADA networks. But Cleaver did exfiltrate extremely sensitive data from many critical infrastructure companies, allowing them to directly affect systems they run. So Silance also said the data could enable them or affiliated organizations to target and potentially sabotage ICS and SCADA environments with ease. The list of targets identified by researchers at Silence is very long. It includes at least one military entity in the U.S. by name, which is the Navy Marine Corps Intranet, and orga- organizations in several industries such as energy and utilities. Um, the security report said that they discovered over 50 victims in their investigation uh, distributed around the globe. Despite the attribution being hard in these cases the or being difficult, the experts at Silence have found a number of domains used in the various attacks that were registered to an Iranian corporation, um, Tar Andeshan. The researchers also discovered that the ASNs and the net blocks are directly linked to the Iranian authorities, meanwhile the infrastructure exploited for the attacks is hosted by the Iranian hosting provider NetFrog. So
1: it's coming straight from Iran, and they're still pissed about uh, right. Stuxnet.
0: Right. <laughs> so they have bigger intentions to position themselves to impact critical infrastructure globally, states the report. They believe that if the operation is left to continue unabated, it is only a matter of time before the world's physical safety is impacted by it. While the disclosure of this information will be a detriment to our ability to track the activity of this group, it will allow security industry as a whole to defend against a threat. So an article on the Daily Mail refers a senior Iranian official who dismissed the report. It says, uh, the official said, this is a baseless and unfounded allegation fabricated to tarnish the Iranian government image particularly aimed at hampering nuclear talks, our current nuclear talks. So that was Hamid Pabey, the spokesman for Iran's mission to the United Nations. The report also reveals that airports, principal airlines, government agencies, transport companies, telecommunication officers, defense contractors, and educational institutions are among the targeted institutions. They believe, are the experts of the security firm, revealed that during the period of observation, the threat actors have rapidly improved their cyber capabilities. So they say that during the intense intelligence gathering over the last 24 months, they observed the technical capabilities of Operation Cleaver of the team itself uh, rapidly evolve faster than any previously observed Iranian effort. As Iran's cyber warfare capabilities continue to morph, the probability of an attack that could impact the physical world at a national or global level level is rapidly increasing. So that was uh, also stated in the silence report. Again, this is a report that's stating this. We'll have a discussion
1: on this in a second. So, Matt, does this report go into detail of um... what actually happened? What actually happened or what they used to get into the systems?
0: Yes. So the threat actors behind Cleaver use a mix of off-the-shelf SQL injection attacks and exploits for several Microsoft vulnerabilities, including MS08067, which uh, that was also used in Red October, which, as you know, as pen testers, when we're in pen testing engagements, MS08067 is our go-to, Right. So, the hackers adopted the TTPs similar to the ones used by other APTs operating for foreign governments including China, and Russia. Um, the Operation Cleaver crew also have customized tools in the arsenal that have been discovered by investigators. The customized tools allow data exfil, siphoning of victims' credentials, network sniffing, key, key logging, and backdooring of uh, targets. So, the experts... Analyzed nearly eight gigs of data more than 80,000 files exfilled from victims and they also discovered um, The bad actors tools the experts were also able to trace the malware used um, By the attacks through sinkholing of the command and control servers used in operation cleaver So they've done a lot of heavy lifting on this investigation. It is interesting to note that um, the They reported no zero-day exploits have been discovered in the arsenal of the attackers So, Silence is releasing more than 150 indicators of compromise and samples associated with Operation Cleaver to allow rapid detection of the activities in this group. So, they desire to close the post, uh, reporting a couple of fascinating uh, speculations in the document that highlight how Iran is trying to improve their cyber capabilities. So, there is an intense focus on CIKR companies in South Korea, which could give Iran uh, additional clout, and their burgundy partnership with um, North Korea. In September 2012, Iran signed an extensive agreement for technology cooperation with North Korea, which could allow for collaboration on various efforts, including IT and security. And second, Iran is recruiting from within the universities and potentially using hackers for hire. So those were the two interesting things. So with that said, and that being someone else's words, not ours... Let's speculate, let's talk and discuss this. I personally think that they chose i c s because it's a low hanging fruit so i c s and scada is a low hanging fruit i mean um if you look at if you look at any database for vulnerable systems, you're going to see a lot of XP. You're going to see a lot of unsupported uh, Solaris. You're going to see old systems. Right, you're going to see old systems. If you have supervisory control and industrial control systems, right, or supervisory control and data acquisition and industrial control systems... There's something that it's set it and forget it. You throw it in the enterprise environment. It's a PLC, PLM, whatever the case is. It's controlling a switch that controls power to an entire city. You don't necessarily need to refresh that every two years, right? Even if that. So these things are sticking around for eight, nine years. They're um, on the network. Plant managers and plant owners, which would be considered the system owners in this case, think they're safe because they're not connected to the internet, quote unquote, but convenience always trumps security in every case. So you have somebody that wants to work from home with this particular plant, they install a modem, right? That's crazy. Now you're connected to the internet or wireless, right? So a plant is in a vicinity to a known wireless access point. You install a wireless uh, adapter, on one of these systems so when it's cold outside you don't have to get out of your truck. Right, they're in to, the car
1: mon- doing monitoring and everything. Right.
0: And now it's near another <clears throat> wireless access point that you can use to uh, you know, gain control of that SCADA wireless control or SCADA wireless network. So there's a lot of things, a lot of attack surface that the plant owner is not taking into account. You have to look at every single opportunity for you know, a, an attacker to get into the environment. Vic, what
2: say you? That's crazy that somebody could even set up like a a decoy Wi-Fi and uh, you know set something up, and then uh, the average user might not know the difference. Say, oh, why is there two listings here, and then start trying to put in their username and password. Now you've already captured it. Well, right. also
1: if they have uh, BYOD and they want to get on um, the internet, because you know if they're monitoring, they're probably got like a twelve-hour shift, and there's nothing to do there, right? Right. Then eat donuts. And just chill. And chill. Make so, me I mean, that that's a big problem. So,
0: I think plant owners definitely need to look into that. Maybe adopt a risk management framework. So, you're doing a formalized risk assessment every eight months, every year, every three years. I don't care. But there has to be something. Um Something done. NIST has frameworks, Gartner has frameworks, Mandiant has reports on what to look for with indi- uh, indicators of compromise. Silence now also has IOCs out there. So there's a lot of things that you can leverage as a stakeholder in your business to ensure that you're being secure and adopting secure practices. Also, the SANS top 20s, a good right. one. Sam's top 20, the Australian DSD top 35. There's a lot of things that you can adopt. So the material is out there. The problem 10 years ago in security was nobody really knew how to secure anything. It, well, we knew as professionals, but no, it wasn't widely known how to apply security methodologies.
1: Yeah, people didn't have to worry about it. The regular workers didn't have to worry about
0: it. Right, and now it, it, security is everyone's responsibility. So, And the good thing is information is out there, and information changes situations. Hey, so what's uh, our next story?
1: So our next story has to do with cyber criminals um, making generous donations to charities as a way of verging stolen credit card data and um, automated card verification. So Black Friday and Cyber Monday weekends mean good business to both retailers and online skimmers. You mean a
2: thief with a conscience?
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's that time of year when shoppers will empty their bank accounts on Amazon, right? You've done that, right, Vic? Mm Mm-hmm. You love Amazon, right? Do that. I'm living it. <laughs> On the other side, some reports suggest that shoppers could possibly have them swipe clean by criminals in underground markets. What many don't know is that their stolen credit card data will be used to make generous donations to charity organizations, and antic used by cyber criminals to verify the value of the card. Tax write-off. Over the years, underground online markets have grown in size and sophistication, such that stolen card data is now traded in a similar model, just like you would list products on mainstream online stores such as eBay or Amazon. A Robin Hood story. Like in any good business, (laughs) underground carters. (laughs) A Robin Hood story. I love it. Underground carters must devise ways to boost the value of their products in a bid to undercut their competitors. One of the strategies is to introduce a card verification system that guarantees the buyer that there is cash and in the stolen card and the cardholders account is yet to be frozen such a move would double the value of a stolen card data uh fish labs discovered an interactive bot that allows criminals to automatically verify the card data saving them the hassle of manually verifying each card which would significantly increase the risk of them being detected so the way this works guys the bot sits in a chat room automatically picking up messages containing card data and making small random donations to any charity organization and other nonprofit organizations as a way of testing whether the cards are functional the big bad bot agent interacts as a user on an irc channel as explained in the post uh the card verification function is handled through private messages between a moderator the criminal services customer and the bot's own user id on that same chat channel um fish labs raid which is research analysis and intelligence division has uncovered an underground service that allows cyber to use an interactive chat bot to automate the verification of stolen payment card data the bot is a script program to log in to an online chat channel and monitor it for messages containing data such as credit card numbers card holder names and expiration dates using a special input syntax. And this comes from Don Jackson, director of threat intelligence at Fish Labs. When cyber criminals join the online channel and chats, the bot uses the data provided to input and run transactions against the websites of charities and other nonprofits in order to verify that the card data is correct and the account is active. The bot then reports the results and any transaction details back. Charity organizations are an ideal target for cyber criminals because their sites have fewer features in order to make it easy yeah, for cause, donors.
0: Because they don't have like CAPTCHA verification, right?
1: Right. And to make their donations in a few clicks. Um, these websites seem to have fraud detection profiles that result in a relatively low number of declined transactions for valid card data. The ability to verify small amounts for many different types of cards issued in many different countries seems to work more reliably for the criminals than for example retailer websites. Detecting fraudulent transactions depend on how fast the victim is able to notice peculiar numerous small transactions made within a short interval. The hallmark of this Klandenstein operation is small amounts ranging from $1 to $5. Ideally, donors would make their donation in whole numbers, but since the bot is automated, operators should look out for patterns of small donations in partial dollar amounts such as uh, $2.09 or $3.58.
0: Really? So very
1: small amounts? Very small amounts just to verify that the money's there, and that the uh, card hasn't been frozen yet.
2: Sounds like prepaid is the way to go.
1: Yeah. and You know, I heard on the radio, too, there's even scams with that,
2: because, I mean, what's this, what if you went and bought, like, a prepaid card?
0: Right. And like you a vanilla you, or a green
2: dot? Yeah, like, you think you have 500 on there, you put 500 on there, and then you walk, you come home, and there's nothing on it.
0: Right. So that would be devastating. Whoa. That'd be devastating.
2: But I guess if you bought it with a credit card, <laughs> right, then you have some kind of protection insurance. And then they were also saying too, like you can buy some of the cards that may already have the money on it, and you have to watch for the tamper seals as well too. Right. So I don't know. It just it seems like everything. It's, has it's got one of those issues. things
0: to look at. But when you're buying a prepaid card, typically they do the registration process there at the register. So you pay for the merchandise, which would be the card, then they put that amount on the card. So the teller or the, not teller, but the um, individual at the register, the cashier that's cashing you out is going to be the one that controls that. So if you have a tamper evidence seal that's broken on a card, that's a problem. So what... Then you shouldn't swipe it.
1: One thing uh, Don uh, Jackson says is operators of websites that may have been targets for abuse can also look for the same pattern in the amounts paid, especially in bursts of transactions, each separated by some short period of time, usually in the range of a few seconds to a couple of minutes. Also, victims should also be suspicious when there is a mismatch between the geological location of the sender's IP address and the billing address of the cardholder. But then again, the cardholder could be on vacation or something too. Right. Meanwhile, preventing the exploitation of this nature would require targeted organizations to shore up authentication procedures in their sites. More importantly, prevent automated submission of card data by introducing a feature such as randomized URLs and requesting for email address and payment verification from potential donors. Other anti-bot measures include introducing CAPTCHAs or requiring visitors to create a simple account before making donations.
2: Sounds like I need to uh, set up a charity
1: account. (laughs) Call it the Human Fund. Call it Vic's Christmas Fund. (laughs) This case demonstrates the continuous evolution of criminal activities in online underground markets. Recently, experts at Intel Crawler discovered a payment gateway application dubbed Vox's Platform, which can send batches of stolen card charges to multiple gateway processors, automating their returns before acquiring banks can catch any illegal activity. The gang behind the Vox's team is advertising its web based application on underground forums as a tool for cashing out money from stolen credit cards by automating fraudulent purchases. ching. This kind of application or these kinds of applications are in demand by the market, especially in this moment because the large payment card data breaches at U.S. retailers like Target and Home Depot have flooded the underground market with stolen credit card data that criminals desire to quickly monetize. The Vox's platform is an excellent instrument to emulate the human behavior and avoid the detection of anti-fraud systems that are triggered when specific fraud patterns are recognized in every online transaction we distinguish the following roles the buyer the seller and the payment gateway the seller will receive money from transactions if it has a merchant account registered with the payment gateway cyber criminals are using every method to run the highest possible number of fraudulent charges in the shortest time the monitoring of their tactics techniques and procedures is strategic to cybercrime prevention
0: right so again um We have a proven system for analysis, and that proven system is to monitor what's happening within a particular environment or look for anomalies from normal behavior. And the anomalies right now would be um, obviously looking at the seller, the buyer, right, and then the payment gateway. So with those three key points, key pieces of data— we're able to, you know, kind of discern and say, all right, that's a normal charge or that's not a normal charge. With that, now the attackers are changing their TTPs, right, and they're using bots. What You said IRC-controlled bots um, to automate the, the process. That's also something, you know, that you typically won't see. Um, but our attackers now are getting smart. The bad guys are getting smarter as every day goes on. So, Well,
1: know. they're hungry, too, because this is their only probably source of income. So they right. come up with ingenious ways of uh, monetizing.
0: So where are we at for time?
1: Uh, we're at 52 minutes.
0: All right. So I want to cover something before we ship on out of here. Sure. What do you got? So uh, we covered ICS and SCADA with um, – was it, was it Cleaver? Yeah. Yeah. So with that op – um, basically we have yeah, Operation Cleaver we have a whitelist so there is a uh, researcher um, Bill, Billy Rios so he created a database of hundreds of thousands of known good files from makers of SCADA and ICS software so the name of the tool is Whitescope and it's to help users identify legitimate ICS and SCADA files um, the database includes files and file hashes for ICS and SCADA software from vendors such as Advantech, Siemens, Rockwell Automation. Um, he says that the artifacts were gathered from installation media and running systems, um, and that was in the About section of the Scope site. The whitelist can be used for initial triage during incident response, engagement, security assessments, and for um, IDS and IPS products. Many ICS and SCADA software vendors don't sign their products. It's a uh, reality that can make determining whether a file is legitimate or not rather tedious. Um, He says that he has uh, no idea why ICS and SCADA vendors don't sign their software, but um, all the software on the iPhone and iPad is signed. All the files and even games for the Nintendo Wii are signed. Instead of waiting for vendors to sign their code, um, Billy created white space. So... If a hash file is not in the database, it does not necessarily mean it's malicious. It's, uh, you know, only that Whitescope has not seen it previously. In that case, if the file is not signed, users can check Whitescope's supported products page to make sure the product they were looking for is on that product list. And if the product is not in the list, um, Billy says to consider working with them to get a good set of hashes for the product. If the product is in the product list and the file doesn't match anything they have, they would start an investigation on that file and and have some fun, right? Throw it in some type of device, see what it does, uh, see how it interacts with the file system. So Whitescope currently has over 300,000 files. It includes all of the files for GE Simplicity and Siemens WinCC versions that were recently targeted by Black Energy, which we covered in a previous podcast. Um, Whitescope will have half a million files loaded before the end of the year, including device firmware files. His uh, goal is to have a million files before the first quarter of 2015 ends. Um, He ends it by saying, Hackers are targeting ICS and SCADA, folks doing IR, incident response, and the SCADA industry are at a severe disadvantage. The basic metadata, which is known good hashes, known good registry rights, um, process information, etc., are all missing. The ICS SCADA vendors should be providing this data, but in many cases, they don't even know themselves. So hopefully WhiteScope helps those in the ICS SCADA industry develop better security tools for the ICS and SCADA environments.
1: That's really great. I hope a lot of the um, people listening that maybe work on SCADA will think about sending them uh, signatures right. and hashes.
0: Right, right. So this is, a, com- this is a communal effort. Um, we have a few more minutes. So one more thing I want to um, cover is a study from the EMC Corporation uh, cites a massive estimate of $1.7 loss in the past 12 months due to unexpected downtime and data loss. Um, the data loss are up by 400% since 2012, and while the number of data loss incidents is increasing overall, the volume of the data loss during an incident is growing exponentially. Um, despite the cost, a majority of business surveyed did not have any kind of disaster recovery plan. So the data loss and downtime cost enterprises $1.7 trillion. Um, or the equivalent of 50% of Germany's GDP. <laughs> Data loss is up by 400% um, by 2012, while surprisingly you know, 71% of those organizations are not fully confident in their ability to recover after disruption. We'll post it up on the show notes so you guys can check it out. Um, and uh, that's, that's a pretty staggering number. So, um, and this was from the EMC Corporation. So we definitely have to keep an eye out for that. Um, take a look on the website so you can uh, can can check it out. I wanted to cover um, POS Logger, which is a new PS, POS malware, but it looks like we're going to be fresh out of time. We got, what, we're on 56 on the clock, 54. So we'll save that for another day. Um, we'll save that for next week. Uh, it should be cool to start off uh, next week with something different than black POS, right? Now we're looking at POS Logger. So, um, I just want to take a second to thank all of our uh supporters, all of our sponsors, all of our listeners. Um, sorry it's taken so long for us to put up another episode, but you know, overcome just by been busy. It's the holidays, we've been you know handling a lot of stuff, turkey,
1: and clients, we, right?
0: We've had a lot of stuff going on,
1: but thanks, thanks for the email and the support, and you know, it's great to hear things from um, all our all of our uh, listeners out there. so keep sending in all those emails and right. and things like that. Vic, what do you gotta say?
2: Nothing.
0: <laughs> what he wants to say is feedback at infosexlink.com for all of your comments. And all of your suggested feedback, constructive criticism, whatever the case is, if you think we should be covering something that you're not hearing on the show, if, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, go ahead and check that out, feedback at infosexsync.com. Stats are looking great. Um, we'll be putting this out. Uh, we're recording this here on Wednesday. We want to get it out by Saturday, hopefully. And um, with that, hope, hopefully you guys have a good week, um, and we will uh, talk at you next week. So with that, Infosex Sync is out.